You know, one of the things that I love so much about the table of the Lord is that Jesus took all the religion out of it. I mean, the Passover meal was, uh, had become a very religious kind of time. And, and he just looked at the guys, and he's, these guys, I mean, those guys, those disciples. And he, was, and he, said, he said, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. It's not like I've been putting up with you for three years. He said, I've just eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. And those guys were never any more one and unified than when he said that to them. And right now, we're just joining with the church around the world. And the Lord, I hear him saying, I have eagerly desired to do this with you. The Bible says on the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you, take and eat. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Often as you drink of it, this do in remembrance of me. Well, I have some good news this morning. You ready? We've got some giants to kill. We have some giants to kill. I hope you brought your giants with you. I hope you didn't get all cleaned up for church. I hope you came just the way you are. Because we're never going to get at those things if we pretend. Right? I'd like to welcome you to the third message in a series of undetermined length. <laughs> which can be frightening called The Power of Your Life. We're calling it this because the Bible's clear that when you come to know God through His Son, Jesus Christ, something happens. It's not just sort of a benign moment. Oh, okay, well there, now I believe that. Something happens. And among the things that happen when you come to authentically confess Christ as your Savior is that you are invested with power. You're invested with power. God puts power in every believer. Now, what you do next is up to you. What you do with that power for the rest of your life is up to you. But it's in there. And it's in there equally. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus, who had already died for our sins, risen from the dead, these are the last recorded words of Jesus while he was here on this earth. He said, and you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive what? Power. That's what the Bible says. We're going with the Bible thing here, right? We're not going up with whatever anybody makes up, but we're doing everything we can to stick with the words of the Bible and let the Holy Spirit bring the truth of them to us. And Jesus said, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And he says, you'll be my, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus is saying is that when you, when you come and you embra are embraced by the Holy Spirit, which is all part of knowing Jesus as Savior, being known by the Holy Spirit and dwelt by the Holy Spirit is not optional equipment for those who choose to be charismatics. It's the deal. It's part of the deal. There is no knowing Christ without knowing the Holy Spirit. And so when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then we become his what? Witnesses. 
witnesses. To be a witness means you have to have seen something, right? It means you have to have been on the scene. And Jesus is making this statement for all the ages that the Holy Spirit will come on you and you will be my witnesses, meaning that I'm going to stay on the scene through the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to continue to see the works that I have been doing. That at the core of being a witness for Jesus Christ is not words, is not a message, but it's an account of what you have seen and heard by walking with Jesus in the power of his Holy Spirit. How many of you, like me, get tired of trying to persuade people to become Christians through words? Come on. I know. And I'm so bad at it. I feel guilty. I'm so bad at it. I mean, I just suck at it, to be honest with you, of... I sh- I'm, a, I'm a pastor, I should probably be good at it, but I'm not. And the words just, I fumble with them, and I'm like, yeah, that's probably a good point. And I can't think fast enough for some people. You know, any, am I alone in this? Or? But there's one thing that never fails, and that's when I start talking about what I've seen Jesus do. <laughs> because they believe me, they know I'm not a liar. And then they have to, amen. I have a giant case of ADD, too, and it's like, want to ride a bike? Okay, what was, was that where I was? Okay. Can't really hear you, but I'm sure you're trying to help, and it's just making it worse. <laughs> now I'm thinking about you and what you said, and let me refer to my notes. So at the core of knowing Jesus is uh, the investment of a power, and the series is about accessing that power, that power and influence that God has placed in you for his glory, because he's put it there for his glory. He, he means to extract it back. He wants it back. He wants to extract it out and exploit it. He wants to exploit us, but it's good because we win in the process, but it's all for his glory. It's not for our glory. It's not even for our benefit. It's not even for our benefit. I was praying for the Celebrate Recovery group that meets here on Wednesday nights, and you know, roughly 100 people come here, and, and it's uh, such a wonderful thing to watch. And I was praying for them, and I was praying for God just to continue to help them and cause them to be delivered from their hurts, habits, and hang-ups and those kind of things, you know, and I was thanking him for the progress that we're seeing and the stories that we're encountering. And the Holy Spirit said this back to me, and it was so strange. He said, you know, I'm not doing that for them. And I'm like, kind of, I didn't pray it out loud, but I was thinking, that's not very nice. (laughs) He says, I'm doing that for me. I'm doing that for my glory. I am rescuing those people to raise up an army out of those people. And to make warriors of them for my glory. The stuff God puts inside of us, this power, is for his glory. Our cooperation with whatever process it is that gets that out and gets it going is for his glory. We see in the New Testament that the Bible says that when Jesus came, he died on the cross. He gave his life for our sins. He was risen from the dead. He ascended to the Father. And and that at that point... Acts chapter 2 tells us that it was the fulfillment of a prophecy in Joel that says, and God poured out his spirit on all flesh. So this spirit is equally accessible to any of us. 
who come in the name of Jesus, all flesh. And so we see examples of that in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, but we also see examples prior to the fulfillment of that prophecy in the Old Testament among individuals, you know, the Hall of Famers. And one of them is David. And so we've been trying to use the life of David as a study to get at this power in our life. Well, thus far in the series, we've learned a couple of things from the life of David. First, we learned that in order to access and develop the power of your life, you've got to what? Show them, Peggy. Oh, yeah. You got to believe. You got to believe. You got to believe this thing is true. You got to believe that the statements of the scripture are true. You don't have to believe me. Don't believe me. Believe the word. You got to believe that this is true in order to begin to access this power and be used by God. And you know, believing something, listen, believing something is simply making a decision to look at the thing and decide that it's true. That's, that's true in any case. Believing something is looking at something and making a decision to decide that it's true. And if we don't believe it, we're making a decision to say, well, that's not true. And we make these kinds of decisions all the time, every day. Most of us drive in a car, correct? And we make a decision to believe that if I get in that car and I turn the key and I follow the rules, that it will safely deliver me to a place of my choosing in a timely manner, correct? And we have data to support that, don't we? Because we've done it a bazillion times. Has anybody here ever been in a car accident? Has anybody here ever had a car break down? So you have data that stands against that, but you make a decision by the preponderance of evidence, if you will, that I'm going to believe that if I get in that car, I'm, I, and, and, and it's not that it's always happened without incident, but you're making a decision to believe that the thing is true. Sometimes you have data for that. Sometimes you don't. Someone poses something to you and says, would you believe that this is true? And there is not a great deal of data to work on. In that case, we take a leap of faith. There we go. You're not go. Thank you. Just believe and try to remember next week, okay? You've got to believe. You've got to make the decision that this is true. So we hear this. We have this data of the Bible, if you will. Can't, can't you know, completely ignore that. We have the data of, I mean, assume, assuming billions of people throughout 2,000 years of history have clung to the truths of Scripture. That's that's a data. And we also have this data of our own lives where we go, eh, 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 that was strange. There's something about that. I mean, how many of you, like me, have had too many coincidences in your life for them all to be coincidence? And you, at some point, don't you get a little suspicious? You go, so maybe there is somebody in charge of things or interested in me? How many of you, like me, have, if you look back over your life at the time before you came to Christ, can see the hand of God reaching in and sparing you from things you should have been caught for or stuff like that that would have, would have changed the trajectory of your life completely. Well, that's called prevenient grace. You should put both hands up, Doug. Because <laughs> God had his hand on you, man, and he was guarding you. He was guarding me. Instant instantly 
out of situations that would have changed everything. And so I look at that data. I look at the data of the Bible, the data of history, the data of my own experience, the data of your experiences, and I make a decision. And my decision is to believe that it's true. So just as you get in the car because you've made a decision to believe that's true and drive, now I have made a decision to believe this is true and now I'm testing it out. And I'm finding over and over and over and over and over and over again the data that comes in supports the truth. It's true. And so I have to make that decision in order to get to this place of accessing and developing this power that's inside of me. You've got to believe it's true. I showed you scripture the first week, which apparently you have forgotten. That it's true. God put that inside you. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. He's sown that in you, brother. You know that. You believe it. Starts there. Second step from last week's message is you just got to relax. You got to relax. And we saw that from, uh, indirectly from the life of David by looking at his lineage and seeing this guy named Obed. Thank you. This whole section may go. Obed, this guy who, we don't know anything else about him other than that he was the great-grandfather, or that he was the grandfather of David. You know, we know about his great-grandparents, Boaz and Ruth. They're like Hall of Famers. They got a whole book. We know about Jesse, David's dad. He got some serious ink in the Bible. But you just got Obed just hanging out there. Don't know anything else about him. He's just Obed. It's okay to be Obed. You know, we're not all called to be kings. It's okay to be Obed. It's okay to be Obed. It's okay not to aspire to be a king or a celebrity or an elder or whatever that version of it is in your world. It's, it's okay. In fact, it's important to be you and to fulfill the purposes that God has for you. It's okay. After the services last week, I was talking to one of my sons, and he was talking about Obed, and he said, you know what occurred to me, Dad, while you were preaching? He said, o- o- Obed was David's grandfather. I said, yeah. And I got to say, I'm digging the grandfather rule. <laughs> so much better than dadding. I promise you that. And so, but he said, just reflecting on all that, he said, he said, I wonder if Obed is the one who gave David his first slingshot. Because that's the kind of thing grandfathers do that parents often don't do, right? I mean, we have some of the grandkids over and stuff, and we do stuff, you know what I mean? And uh, so sometimes I get a little feedback. You did what? Well, that's what grandparents do, right? That's our, our role. That's our right. It's our responsibility. And so we do this. And he just said, it. you know, we don't know if, if that's what grandpa what papa did for David we don't know could have been and he was just being open and so you got to relax you got to relax you got to say oh I guess I got to spend my rest of my life struggling to try to be a king or something no you just got to relax you got to believe God has something for you something in you and you got to relax well today we're going to move on to the third lesson from the life of David and that is that you have to learn how to slay the giants you got to learn how to kill the giants Probably no better known passage on the earth in general than David and Goliath, right? 
I mean, if you just started talking to people out there, they might not be able to tell you where it is in the Bible, but they would say, you know, oh, yeah, 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 David and Goliath. They'd probably tell you pretty much everything that went on. And the story of David killing the giant Goliath, it, you know, it's a truth as a story, but it also provides a metaphor for us that we can all relate to, right? Playground bully, you know what I'm talking about? And one little stone went in the sling. You know, the fantasies that go through our minds sometimes, the mean neighbor, the teacher that won't let up, the guy in the Hummer on 270. (laughs) You're in your little smart car. (laughs) Get the fantasy of of smiting the Philistine, right? We can all relate to that. Well, the account of David's victory over Goliath is located in the Old Testament book called 1 Samuel. It's right next to where we started a couple of weeks ago. It's 58 verses long, so I'm not going to read it for you, but basically it goes like this. It goes that uh, the armies of Saul, which are the armies of Israel, Saul was king, had drawn a battle line with the armies of the Philistines. And they're out there trading insults across this, you know, I fought in your general direction, or whatever, you know. And uh, whatever. Uh, Money Python, anybody? I feel like I shouldn't tell you this, but I, I'm going to. Last Sunday night, Karen and I went to see Spam a lot at the Shadow Box Live. It was, oh my gosh, it was so funny. Anyway, so in my thinking all week, you know, Goliath has been this Frenchman, you know, he comes up, and <laughs> I can't. I can't get it out of my mind, so, and since we all know that I have very little discipline, that's how it's going to roll this morning, probably, so. So these battle lines are drawn, and, you know, these forces are opposed against each other, and there's a valley in between them, and uh, the Philistines keep uh, producing this giant named Goliath, who's nine feet tall, and he says, look, let's not fight it out with all the guys, why don't you just send your best guy, we'll fight it out, whoever wins, wins, okay, wins, takes, takes all, winner take all. Well, nobody wanted to go up against Goliath because he's nine feet tall. Right, exactly. And he says he had all these weapons that were commensurate with his body size. And, and so no one would go. Well, then you got David was back taking care of the what? Sheep. He's home. He's home. He had spent a little time with Saul. And if you read in the little in section in between where we were a couple of weeks ago and today, that Saul would have David come and play his guitar and sing because Saul was, uh, he needed therapy. He did. He was nuts. He was losing it. And there was something about David singing that made him nice. And so that happened. But then David would go back to the sheep. So David, you know, who wasn't even like considered enough yet in the family to go off to war with his brothers, was taking care of the sheep. And his father, Jesse, says, hey, why don't you take this food to your brothers, see how they're doing, and, and come back and tell me. So he goes. And he gets there, and he you know, gives you all that, hey, what are you doing here? And, you know, and all the, the whole thing is happening. It's carrying on and all this. And uh, uh, David says, uh, what's going on? He says, well, this guy says if anybody can take him, that we get, we get everything. And he goes, uh, well, what will be done for the man who does this? And they tell him, he says, it's a pretty good deal. I'll do it. So they take him to Saul, and Saul is like, oh, but you are so small, how can you do this? uh, But he persuades him to do it, because the Spirit of God is on him, and Saul gives him his armor, and he goes out like clunk, 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 and this big armor that's too big for him, he says, I can't go on this, he says, I'm going to fight my own fight, and he grabs five little stones. Some people say, why did he grab five when he only needed one? 
Some people have suggested Goliath had four brothers. I don't know. It's five stone. And he goes out, and, he, and, and Goliath looks at him, and he goes, well, what am I, a dog? How do you send a boy out to me? What's, what's up with this? You send this kid out to me with sticks? Am I, what, are you going to run me off like a dog? David says, Goliath, you come against me with sword and javelin and spear, but I come against you in the name of the God of Israel, whose armies you have defied, and today I'm going to cut off your head with your own sword. <laughs> okay. It was on. It was on. And it was over before it started because God was with David. That's 3,000 years ago. What can we possibly take away from this? Five things. Ask me what the first one is. Number one, if you want to discover the true power of your life, keep doing what you're doing with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What? Verse 15 of our text says this, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. David had been anointed as the next king of Israel, and what did he do? He went back to the sheep, and he continued to do what God had appointed him to do at that time. And he did it with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength because that's how he learned to fight the lion and the bear and that's how he was prepared to fight Goliath. Beloved, wherever you are, do it with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Whatever your situation is, live in it with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Live in this. Live in this moment. Live in this thing that God has created. Don't keep borrowing from your tomorrow dream. Just live in this moment. Live in this moment. Live fully in this moment. I think that Followers of Jesus Christ should be the best employees on the face of the earth. I think they should show up, to show up to work on time. They should work hard and they should not criticize or complain. But they should understand that even if you hate your job, God has put you there for a purpose. Do it with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and bring him glory as you do it. Sometimes, I know, God puts us in situations that are very unpleasant for us to school us, to teach us, it says in the book of James. You say, I hate my job. Well, why extend the stay there? Get to it. Get to what God's bringing out in you. Do it with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength so that God can prepare you for the next thing, which is what David did. If you want to get in touch with this power, do your job with all your, live your life with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with integrity and authenticity. Second, watch for God's doors and walk through them when they open. Verse 17, now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. A door opened. Because he was doing what he was supposed to do with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Doors open. And he walked through it. He was doing what he was meant to do, where he was. And the door opened. And he walked through it. And there are doors open for you. And doors will open. And you need to walk through them. You need to walk through them. The doors that God creates, it says over here. Come step through this door. Some of you are ready to step through that door right there. And participate in our children's ministry You'll be somebody who's going to hand a little Tommy Pocket a Bible. He's going to talk about you someday in a message. And that's a door. Some of you are this door. You'd be really good on this front door. 
because you have grace and acceptance and welcome and you know that there but for the grace of God go I and you just can embrace people as they come and you, that's your front door out there. Others of you need to walk through the door of feeding the homeless, taking care of the poor. God opens doors. It's not window shopping, believers. It's time to walk through those doors as they open. Do everything with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength while you're doing it. God opens the door. Walk through it. Number three, live your own life, not a copy of someone else's. Verse 38, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him, a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic, tried walking around because he was not used to them. Can't go on these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his own staff in his own hand and chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in, his, in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and his sling, with his sling in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. We've got to get off this thing that the church is doing to people. The org- contemporary American church is trying to make people into something. Trying to for- force people through molds and say, when you're good, you'll look like this. When you're good, you'll look like you. You'll look like you. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, filled with his Holy Spirit, living large a life with the power of God coming through you. That's what you look like. I don't know about every other church, but I know this. One of the reasons I don't really have a plan for this church and never have is because I never know who's going to be here. I never know who God's going to bring and what we're going to be like. How could you possibly know what to do until you see who you got? See, I don't want to make this plan and say, oh, bodies are here, good. I need you to start being this way and doing that thing because I need you to fill my agenda. Don't have an agenda. Other than to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, see who's here and see what we can do with that batch. Just an explanation there. I want you to fight your own fight, to live your own life, to wear your own armor. I want you to be you. I'm good with that. Number four, spiritualize the fight. Make it a matter of the spirit. Verse 41, meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole earth will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and we will give all, and he will give all of you into our hands. He spiritualized it. He says, you... You know, you think this is some sort of political issue that we want to expand our political boundaries or whatever. It's not about that. The reason we're fighting today, David said to Goliath, was because you have defied God. And he spiritualized it. Now, a cool thing happens when you spiritualize your battle with your giants, and that's that God shows up in the power of his spirit and does the fighting. And then number five, don't stop until it's finished. Don't stop. Don't stop because you're getting a little victory. 
Don't stop because you've had a few days of this or a few days of that. Don't stop. You've got to keep pushing on that thing. Look at verse 50. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him, and he took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with his own sword. The Philistines saw that their hero was dead. They turned and ran. That'd be a good place to stop. Well, there they go. Raw, we rock. Let's keep reading. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sherem road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. And David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem and put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. Okay, now we're done. You say, man, that's just so violent, so graphic. The Bible says that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't play nice. And you've got to keep pushing on until it's finished. How many of you, like me, have let up too soon and found yourself right back where you started? Anybody? Raise your hand. I'll raise mine. And the truth is that we all face giants that we've got to defeat. And the truth is that the power of your life was consistently threatened by these giants. One of the essential parts of dealing with these giants is knowing where to look for them. I'm going to give you three places. They're not the only three places, but the first place to look for giants is what I call your devils. The Bible does say that there's one devil named Satan. But the Bible also says there's an unnumbered, uh, there's an uh, uh, unspecified number of minions that referred to as demons. And these things are real and these things are clever. That's pretty clear. And it's possible that some of you are facing certain issues in your life, particularly if they're recurring behaviors that you just can't seem to get free from no matter how hard you try. Uh, that may actually be, indicate the presence of demons. And we've dealt with that here, and we've seen them go, sometimes in dramatic fashion. Because we camp on 1 John 4, 4, that says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And what that means is that Jesus, Jesus fighting, Jesus is exponentially greater than all the devil and all of his minions combined. Now, if we go toe-to-toe with the devil, what happens? right but what if we spiritualized it said Lord Jesus come and fight this fight for me you think about that the possibility of that the second place to look for the giants that are preventing you from accessing and developing your resident power is your past all of us have endured a variety of hurts and disappointments and embarrassments on our way to today haven't we anybody get this far without some of those things I think they call that life. I think God has given us an amazing capacity for dealing with most of it. I've recently become aware of some research that has been, been that talked about how right, left, right brain, left brain interface really develops this and really ca- allows us to deal with these hurts, these embarrassments on a regular basis. And it's been a fascinating study for me. But some of you are victims of abuse and betrayal, and deceit, and exploitation. And it is is beyond your capacity to deal with it in a normal way, and you 
are victimized by it. And it's a giant. It's a giant. You have good days and bad days, right? But it's still a giant. You have giants in your past that need to be slain. They need to be killed. They need to be outed. Or we're just going to continue to live this way for the rest of our lives. Now, I'm absolutely fine with people living however they want to as long as they're not hurting anybody else. But if you're not okay with the way you're living, I say let's kill some giants, okay? Third major place to look for a giant to kill is in your mirror. It struck me as I was thinking and praying my way to this message that, uh, that uh, h- how often we can seem to be our own worst enemies, yeah? Anybody? We can wallow, we can refuse the grace of God, we can wallow in our doubts, we can do these things that, I said, why am I doing that? Or we can get to this place where we think, well, we're, trying to, we're trying to make the whole world about us, or more of the world about us. And, we, and, and, we, and our ego just sits in the middle of this thing, and, and when it's not being stroked in the ways that we think it ought to be stroked, we start to spin out. Well, maybe you didn't get to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 yet to find out what all this is about. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life is going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will find it. What if it's not about you? What if you're not the most important thing? I know. Now, in case you think I'm picking on you, let me tell you that I, I deal with this all the time. And I've made some poor assessments and some stupid decisions based on whether I thought I was going to get enough out of this. Whether my name was on a big enough slice of the pie. But I have noticed that in this life, every time I have done that, it has caused me to take a step backward in my discipleship. Jesus was pretty clear. That we can be the giant that needs to be slain. Our ego. The truth is the Bible says that God has plans for us. Good and powerful plans. I'm going to give you in closing two sources to go and find victory from the giants you face. Then we'll kill some giants, okay? The first place you need to go is to your God. You need to go to God. You you personally need to go to God with your giant. You you need to do that. You, You need to step up and you need to say... God, would you make this your fight? I heard a very excellent message from a very excellent messenger this Wednesday morning in Gideon's Army. Gideon's Army is a thing for men. It meets at 5.30 in the morning on Wednesdays. It meets for half an hour. And this guy that was speaking was just starting a, was just introducing a series called Standing in the Gate, where he's talking about how to stand in the gate for your family, stand in the gate you know, for the stuff in your life. If you guys aren't coming, I'd, I'd check that out for the next four weeks. But anyway, as this guy was talking and giving his message, he said, you know, the Lord is the warrior. And he quoted Exodus chapter 15, verse 3. He said, the Lord is the warrior. I thought, the Lord is a warrior? That's so cool. It just struck me right in the center. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is a warrior. That's what it says in Exodus 15, 3, when Moses is celebrating the conquest over the Egyptians when they all got flushed behind him in the Sea of the Red Sea, right? He says, the Lord is a warrior. Now, a warrior, what is a warrior? You know, a soldier is someone who fights. And a soldier is someone who will faithfully go to war, however reluctantly, because they're a soldier, they will go. 
But a warrior, they like to fight. They're looking for a fight. And when the living God, pure and righteous, says, I'm a warrior, I'm looking for a fight, he's saying, I want to come and fight for you. I'll take him down for you. After I was so stirred by that Wednesday morning, I was looking up the Hebrew on that, and the Hebrew actually says, it doesn't say the Lord is a warrior, it says the Lord is a man of war. <laughs> that made it even better. <laughs> it's not like the Lord's like up in heaven going, I'm going to push this button for Tom. Poof, you know, ah, that help? More? But the Lord, Lord's a man of war. That's what the Bible says, that he became man so he could fight for us. God isn't far off trying to rearrange things for our benefit, but he comes and he stands between us and the giant and he does the fighting. And that's where the victory is. And you invite the Lord to come and do the fighting. And you just say, I don't seem to be able to do this on my own. I seem powerless to be able to do this on myself. I'm going to invite the Lord to come and do the fighting. Some of you are thinking about that. Some of you are saying, no, I've got to fight this fight. Let me ask you this simple question. How well is that working out so far? <laughs> Keep coming back to the same thing, don't you? The Lord is a man of war. He wants to come and do the fighting. We've got some giants to kill. Let's kill some giants. Come on. Let's kill some giants. You, you, you would define what the giants are. I could start a list, but I don't think I need to. I think you're stirred. Some of you are stirred right now going, I can identify this nine-foot-tall son of a motherless goat that I want gone. I want that thing killed. Right? You know what I'm talking about. Well, if you're a person who would like to receive ministry right now to kill some giants, come on up. Just stand right up here. Kind of make a shoulder-to-shoulder wall of you right here. Let's kill some giants. Come on. Come on. Come on. Just come on up. You want to kill some giants? That's what I want you to do. I want you to identify the giant. Some of you, kind of, if you close your eyes and look at it, the giant, you see like an army of them, right? <laughs> you say, do you want the whole list or no? We want the tallest one. We want the biggest one. So we don't start small and work our way up. I want you to identify the biggest giant that the Lord's stirring in your life right now. I want you to step up to the battle line with him. Okay? Step up. Step up. I want you to hear his taunts about how weak you are, how sick you are, how you're going to die. I want you to hear those taunts. Go ahead, lady. Let him say, you come at me with sticks? What, am I a dog? You think you can have this? Just hear his taunts. Go ahead. Let him get it out. You think you're going to be free from that Pornography addiction, you think so? 
You think you're ever going to stop thinking about when you were sexually abused? You think that? Just let him talk to you. Let him get it out. Identify it. And then you say something like this. You come against me with all of that. But I come against you in the name of the living God whose armies you have defied. And today, I'm going to cut off your head with your own sword in the name of Jesus. And you invite the Lord, the warrior, to come and stand between you and the giant. You invite him to come. And you say this. Say this out loud. I come against you in the name of the living God. You got to believe. You got to believe. The giant stands there and says, I come against you with this, this, this. And you say again, I come against you in the name of the living God. Take the stone. Take the stone and put it in the sling. Spirit of God. The next time the devil gets distracted in the next few seconds with his own ego to tell you how powerful he is, as soon as he's thinking so much about himself, I want you to send that stone sailing to the center of his forehead. Oh breath of God, come breathe within. There must be more than this. Spirit of God, we wait for you. Take him. Take him. Take him. Take him. Fill us anew, we pray, consuming fire, fan into flame, a passion for your name, Spirit of God, fall in this place, Lord
Psalm 144 says, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle, my loving kindness and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. Just take your refuge in him. It's his loving kindness. The Bible says in the book of Romans that there is nothing, either height or depth, life or death, demons or angels, there's nothing in all creation that will be able to separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. This is about his love. He wants to fight for you. I mean, which of us, who of us who are parents, if our child came to us and said, Dad, I'm getting killed here. you got to fight for me. You'd, you'd be out of the chair before they stopped, before they were done with the question. Spiritualize this. Make this about God and make this about His glory and the glory of your life when you're healed, the glory of your life when you're delivered, the glory of your life when you're set free.